night that Rachel and I brought our third child home from the hospital, a small fire broke out in the basement of our building, just behind our kid's bedroom. Uh, we immediately called 911, of course, and thankfully the fire department arrived really within minutes of our call. But when they got there, one of the first things they did was take a sledgehammer and smash several brick glass windows in our apartment to give ventilation. Then after they put out the fire, the fire chief told me that the, the furniture and our children's tiny bedroom would have to somehow be completely rearranged to give them better access to the basement if they ever needed to access it again. So there I was with glass all over our apartment and holes in the windows, and all I could think was somehow I'm gonna have to find a way to fit an Ikea bunk bed into a tiny corner of the kid's bedroom, and if I can't figure out how to do this, we're gonna have to move, and we can't afford to move. And even if we could, I don't know where else we'd live. As you might imagine, I was feeling a little stressed. Well, maybe more than a little. Rachel said I looked panicked. But, but God provided a solution, and we didn't have to move, and we were able to clean up all the glass and board up the windows, and, and we were okay. And a couple years later, when I once again started to feel anxiety about circumstances that we were facing, I was talking to my dad on the phone, and he reminded me of how God had taken care of me and my family before. And not just that one time with that fire, but on multiple occasions. And he said, the Lord has always provided for you in the past. Why are you so worried now? And those were words I needed to hear. And there's still words that I need to hear. Because I often forget about God's past provisions. I often forget about how he has cared for me. And when I forget, I often start to lose faith that he'll provide what I need in the present. Now, I only mention that because as I was reading through the first several chapters of Deuteronomy, I noticed that this is precisely what Moses is doing for the people of Israel. He's, he's doing what my father did for me, reminding them of what God has done for them in the past so that they will be able to trust God in the present. In order to understand this section of the book of Deuteronomy and, and what Moses is doing here, it's helpful to think about the broader structure of the book. As many modern commentators have observed, the structure of Deuteronomy is very similar to the structure of a typical treaty or contract between a king or ruler and a vassal nation who is under his protection. There are a variety of examples of these treaties existing among the ancient Hittites, who were one of the neighboring nations that Israel encountered in the land of Canaan. So the Israelites, they, they would have been familiar with these treaties, and Moses seems to adapt this same format in the book of Deuteronomy. And here's what I mean. In an ancient Hittite ruler-vassal treaty, you generally expect to find an introductory section or preamble followed by a historical prologue that explains the relationship between the Lord and the vassal state, 
which would then be followed by a description of the treaty itself and all its stipulations and the responsibilities of both parties. And then a listing of blessings and curses that would come upon both parties as a result of their faithfulness in keeping the agreement, concluding finally with a list of witnesses, often deities, who would ratify the covenant. That's the structure of a typical Hittite treaty, and it's pretty much the same structure that you find in Deuteronomy. There's a preamble, there's a historical prologue in chapters 1 to 4, All the stipulations of the covenant are laid out in chapters 5 through 26. Blessings and curses are talked about in chapter 28. And then witnesses are gathered and the treaty is ratified at the end of the book. All of which means that these opening chapters, this historical prologue, that this section is meant to be a rehearsal of God's relationship with the people of Israel. That said, when you read these chapters, it may surprise you what Moses includes and what he decides to leave out in his historical summary of their relationship. Notice, for instance, that Moses doesn't talk about the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, at least not explicitly. He also says nothing, it seems, about their encounter with God at Mount Sinai or or that whole situation with the golden calf or many of the other events that are recorded in the book of Numbers. Which isn't to say that Moses doesn't think those moments are important. The fact that Deuteronomy is placed after Exodus and Numbers in the Bible, it suggests that we as readers of the Bible are presumed to have already read those books. But what happens between Egypt and Sinai, it's not really Moses' primary focus here. What he wants to draw attention to, what he wants us and the Israelites to remember, is how God has kept his promise to give them a land. That's why he begins the way he does in verse 6. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. Now, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And, And that's where Moses picks up his reminiscence at Horeb. But he doesn't talk about what happened there. He he reminds us that God had further plans for Israel. They weren't supposed to remain at Sinai. They were supposed to leave the mountain and head toward the land of Canaan. For, as God tells them, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them and to their offspring after them. Now keep in mind what Moses is doing here. He's preparing the people to enter the land. And he knows that when they get there, they're going to face obstacles. They'll have to battle against other nations. They're going to need courage and fortitude in the face of danger. And when the going gets tough, they'll need something in which they can put their trust, something That can give them assurance when their courage falters. So Moses reminds them of God's words to them, and he reminds them of how the Lord has kept his word by mentioning Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, men who lived half a millennia before the people who were standing now at the shore of the Jordan River. 
By mentioning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses is reminding the Israelites of how their God doesn't forget how he stays true to his promises, even promises he made 500 years prior. In other words, he's reminding them that they can trust God. And at the same time, he also reminds them of what happens when they refuse to trust God or when they begin to doubt that the Lord really has their best interest in mind. In the, in the latter half of chapter 1, Moses recounts the story that's told in Numbers 13 and 14 about what happened the first time that the Israelites arrived at the promised land and how they were afraid of the Canaanites and how they refused to listen to God and enter the land. Moses reminds them what he told them then on that occasion. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or fear of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carries you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Back then, Moses had told them, you can trust God. Back then, he would reminded them of how God had taken care of them in the past when he brought them out of Egypt as he carried them through the wilderness, how God had treated them like a loving father treats a beloved child. But back then, they didn't listen. They didn't trust God. They succumbed to fear and anxiety. They focused on all the dangers around them and forgot about God's provision and care. Kind of like I did that night that those firefighters broke the windows in our apartment. And kind of like a lot of Christians do when we're faced with things that threaten us. As the Sri Lankan theologian Ajith Fernando says, people say amazing things when they turn their backs on God. Typically, they magnify their problems like the Israelites did. They ignore all the amazing things God has done for them in the past and focus on the problems instead. Moses reminds the Israelites of their failure in that moment, not to guilt or shame them, but to help them remember, remember the tragic consequences that came from refusing to trust God's word. And then right after that, in chapters two and three, then he starts to remind them of the the multiple times in which they did listen to God. And he did give them victory over enemies, or provided for them in their need. Moses reminds them of of, of when they were in the wilderness and had to travel through the land of the Edomites, who were the descendants of Esau, and how God prohibited them at that, that time from fighting with the Edomites or taking their belongings, and how that took trust. It, it takes trust to simply be at peace and not seize what you need. And so to help them trust in God at that time, Moses had reminded them of how God had cared for them in the past. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. He also reminds them of what happened when they tried to pass peacefully through the land of Heshbon, but Sihon, the king of Heshbon, refused them entrance and attacked them. Then Sihon came out against us he and all his people to battle at Jahaz. And the Lord our God gave him over to us 
and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. The Lord our God gave all into our hands. And likewise, after they had defeated the armies of Sihon and passed through Heshbon to the land of Bashan and were once again attacked by a warring king, Moses reminds the people what God told him at that point. The Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. And of course, that's exactly what happens. The Israelites encounter Og, the king of Bashan. They encounter him in battle and they achieve a complete and total victory. God does indeed give him into their hands. As you read through these chapters, chapters 2 and 3, you may start wondering, why is Moses bothering to recount these wilderness battles? Is he, is he just trying to give the people a pep talk? Is he trying to impart some moral lesson? What is he doing? Well, remember, as I said before, this portion of Deuteronomy, it's meant to function as a kind of historical prologue, detailing the relationship that has existed between the Lord and this vassal people who are entering into covenant with him. And in the next part of the book, all the stipulations and all the instructions of that covenant will be spelled out. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Moses says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. In the chapters that follow, Moses is going to lay out in detail all the statutes and rules that the people are expected to obey, all the instructions about how they are now meant to live in response to this covenant relationship that they have entered with God. But in order to do that, in order for them to actually listen and obey, they have to first know that they can trust God. They have to know that even when his, even when his instructions seem strange, even when his rules seem counterintuitive and impractical, they have to know that they can still trust him and that they can know that he has their best in mind. So that's why Moses spends time reminding them of these wilderness provisions and military victories so that they will remember that they can trust God, that they can depend on what he says, that he really does care for them. And he does it because Moses knows the incredible human capacity for forgetfulness. Moses knows that in times of fear or anxiety or uncertainty, that we can easily become overwhelmed by the situations in which we find ourselves and simply forget. In fact, he warns the people of this very thing. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Only take care lest you forget. I think that's a very fitting summary of one of the primary themes of the whole book of Deuteronomy. It's also one of the reasons that the book of Deuteronomy is still so important and so relatable. Even thousands of years after it was written, 
Because what Moses is talking about is a tendency that occurs in every generation of God's people, no matter when or where we live. Honestly, the, the, the longer that I'm a Christian, the more convinced I am that following Jesus is rarely a matter of learning new facts or new concepts. Most of the time, following Jesus is just a matter of remembering things that I've forgotten. Simple things. Like what Jesus says to his followers in Matthew 6, when he says, why are you so worried? Why are you so anxious about what you'll eat or what you'll sleep or what you'll wear? Have you forgotten that God is your heavenly father? That he cares for you? That he provides what you need? You don't need to worry. You don't need to be afraid. Just know that God loves you, that he wants your best, and that you can trust what he says.